Sunday. Um, we have these typically uh, about once a quarter, um, a few more kind of compressed right now just because we've gotten uh, a lot of our missionaries have come back, our global outreach partners have come back uh, after COVID. Many were stuck in other countries, some couldn't get back. Um, and we have with us uh, today Rich and Joyce Maddox. Uh, Rich uh, has known me, or I've known him, but I probably didn't remember. But he's known me since I was just a wee, a wee little lad. Uh, and so probably like Benjamin and Catherine's age. Uh, but they've been serving faithfully for uh, almost 30 years overseas in Papua New Guinea. And uh, I'll let you share more about that. But uh, we look forward to it this morning. Thank you. Thank you. And one of the reasons why Joyce is up here with me this morning is so that you can see the more important half of our team. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. Not only does she move money around the world to keep four Bible translation projects going right now, but also she serves as an um, advisor for some of those Bible translation teams three days a week. And so she does multiple tasks, and it's really, I wanted the folks online to also be able to see her. So thank you. I got to look the team over here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. As mentioned, we've been in Papua New Guinea a long time. This July 2nd, we will celebrate 30 years since we arrived in Papua New Guinea. So. And we don't do it without your prayers and support for us. So thank you. Now, we serve in Papua New Guinea north of Australia on the globe. The people we serve, and by the way, in, a few, in uh, July 7th, we'll be taking a 50-hour trip to get back there because Australia and several other nations are closed right now still, and so we have to go the long way around the world. But Papua New Guinea is north of Australia. The people we serve mostly live in grass roof houses with woven bamboo walls and cooking fires in the middle of their dirt floors. They have pit toilets, and a few families have smartphones that because of not having electricity in, their, in most of their villages, every few days they will go to town to recharge their cell phones. About once a year, we hear about a friend or a team member who had their phone slide out of their pocket into the pit toilet, never to be seen again. We left America again at the end of September 2019 for Papua New Guinea, just a few months before COVID-19 started. We arrived back in the USA January 11th, this January 11th. Today, I'm going to give you a missionary report about the things that have been happening these last two and a half quarter years and how God has been working in ways you can pray for us and support us. I'm also going to share a few things that I've been learning and that you may be able to apply to your own life. I've titled the sermon, Be Careful What You Pray For. So let's pray before we get started. Father, you are an amazing, mighty king who rules the universe and who desires to have us on adventures with you. Father, thank you, thank you for that privilege. 
And now, as I share, I would ask that you would help this body both individually and corporately to understand their part and how they can continue to serve you. Bless our efforts now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Papua New Guinea, the very first case of COVID-19 that became public was an Australian gold miner who caught COVID on a short-term vacation overseas. He came back into Papua New Guinea, and they tested him, and they immediately shipped him right back out of Papua New Guinea um, as soon as he tested positive. Now, Papua New Guinea had very few cases that first year until the Delta version came along. Then the country nearly doubled from 250 deaths to over 651 deaths this week out of 9 million people. Until Delta, many of the Papua New Guineans told me that they had heard that this was a white skin illness. There is a rumor in PNG that it is the white people who are carriers of COVID. I've noticed more Papua New Guinea uh, folks standing back from me and whispering to each other. And if they come around the corner and all of a sudden they see me, they do this now. It's, it's like, and, and, and then they kind of back up a little bit. Truly, the only people in their population that have suffered from COVID who are Papua New Guinea people are either had other serious illnesses or those villi the villagers call their big shot businessmen. Those are the very few Papua New Guineans who drive cars, causing them to be overweight due to lack of exercise. Today, 2.9% of the population is now inoculated. Many, many, many times over this last two-year period, I have been asked and pumped in, with questions, both individually and in groups, why their population is so immune from COVID. They say we are so, so sad for America and Europe. And then they ask, what is the differences? And, and, and why aren't they affected like we are? I try to turn questions and conversations back to the Bible and to God whenever I'm in a conversation, um, and you can do that as well in your conversations. I've had to tell them that we really don't have all the answers, but I've spent many, many hundreds of hours in my evenings reading as much as I can on the studies and looking at the statistics worldwide. So I suspect that because many of my Papua New Guinea friends have eaten bats and rats and snakes and cats. Yes, they do eat cats. Apparently it's good meat. All of which have form of COVID in them. And because most have already survived tuberculosis, typhoid, and malaria, and many of them take chloroquine regularly, which is a stronger form of hydroxychloroquine, they live in the tropics and have all sorts of skin issues, so might have had been given some short-term prescription to some equivalent of ivermectin for their skin issues. Very, very few of them are overweight, and they walk miles every day because they don't have cars. Most, just to survive into adulthood, have stronger immune systems than in Western culture. So I tell them that I think God has blessed them with lots of early immunity. 
now than, than we have in Western cultures. Now, some African countries have very similar lifestyles and very, very similar effects to COVID-19. And they eat some of the same animals I mentioned earlier. Now, in Papua New Guinea, they normally stand so close to you that they spit in your face. Joyce and I consider that price of th that part of the price of getting the gospel out. I have to remind myself, and you can ponder this also in your own lives, that Jesus, being God, also knew all about the germs that surrounded him when he served on earth. But, if you think about it, he fearlessly leaned into minister, ministry and reached out anyway. Now, we had to make a decision at the beginning of COVID to stay in Papua New Guinea and reach out or leave Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, they have been teaching social distancing, but in their culture, many think social distancing means packing a truck and going a long way. And I shot that through the window of my truck. In March 2020, the Wycliffe Center, where we still live in Papua New Guinea, required 60, 60 of their Wycliffe missionaries to leave Papua New Guinea because they were in the at-risk category of being over 60, like Joyce. Or they had health issues. We were told later by two of our Wycliffe doctors that Joyce and I were discussed on that list, but they knew that since we were no longer Wycliffe missionaries, in, and instead now with Tyndale Bible translators that we had founded, they could not require us to leave Papua New Guinea on that COVID evacuation flight with 200 other people. The majority of, that, of those missionaries are still not back in Papua New Guinea 27 months later. We are so, so thankful that God pushed us in 2017 to resign from Wycliffe and start a new mission called Tyndale Bible Tra Translators. After two years of being restricted within our district and our province and 26 months of working without any real break, with dental and health needs like two broken teeth needing crowns, two cataracts and a colonoscopy, none of which could get cared for any longer in Papua New Guinea or Australia, we are now home this since January for a short medical furlough to care for these medical needs. We knew that to travel internationally, we'd had, have to have the COVID shots. Now I have cerebral palsy, which is caused by brain damage during my birth to the nerves that control my muscles. So guess what? Unlike COVID, you can't catch my limp. <laughs> hey, I got some laughs there. Now, the Australian Health website advised that people with cerebral palsy not get vaccinated, but with no reason given for that. Why would they put that on their website? But the local missionary doctor in Papua New Guinea told me that with the many, many nationals we come in contact with every day and the increasing travel restrictions, he strongly encouraged us 
Two weeks after my second COVID shot, September 24th, I could hardly walk. I lost much of my balance, fell four times, and I'm slowly now getting better. Thank you for praying for us. Our medical needs are now taken care of, and we are scheduled to depart for Papua New Guinea June 7th. Pray for negative PCR test next Sunday afternoon. With the Lord's blessing, we think we can get the entire Kamano Cafe Bible done editing and completed by the end of the summer and sent to the Waterproof Bible Printers, which is in Hong Kong. And that's going to be a really interesting one with the printer being in Hong Kong. This Bible for the 83,000 people in the Kamano Cafe language has been a 16-year project. We give praise to the Lord for his amazing help. And this walking stick right here is made from black palm. If you're a woodworker, you can buy about 12 inches of it for about $15 on woodworker magazines and so forth. In PNG, they make their bows, their man-killing bows out of it. Because in pre-outside world contact, black palm was their strongest and hardest and longest lasting material. Our national team members, and, and by the way, it will not rot. Our national team members presented this to me the week we finished translating the very last verse of our Kamano Coffee Bible. Their name for God is Anumza. They call this Anumza Wood or God would. It also has woven orchid vines that are presented only to their leaders. They grow high in their trees. They and I, which is a bit of a concern to me to, to have them do that. They and I thought I'd use this when I was much older. I had to use it daily for four months because I could hardly walk because of my vaccine reaction. Before 2019, our team had finished the New Testament and 10 Old Testament books. Amazingly, God used COVID with all of its life disruptions to actually speed up our Bible translation work. It was stunning. Papua New Guinea is just north of Australia and they often follow Australian rules and regulations, including COVID regulations and travel restrictions. But even with it all, the translation sped up. In the past two years, the team translated from Psalms through Malachi, completing the Old Testament and the full Bible. Amen. So this morning, I'd like to share with you a few things I've learned from Nehemiah that will hopefully also help you in your life. Now, because of the Jewish nation's sin, God moved to direct the foreign powers like Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem and take the Jews into foreign lands as captives. The verse in, in Jeremiah 29.11 is prophesied about captives like Nehemiah. Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Then in Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. But this 
I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now this was written before and in the aftermath of the Babylonian destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem's walls were torn down. The temple was torn down. The city was burned. And the king of Judah had been taken away to Babylon as a prisoner. Among those still left alive, for many of them it must have seemed that their world had completely collapsed. Yet right there in the middle of Jeremiah and Lamentation, we read these words of hope. These past two years, I have had to remind myself that God is still in control. Let's look at Nehemiah, one of those captives, and see how God fulfilled these words in the life of Nehemiah and also look quickly at a few lessons that we can learn from the way that Nehemiah lived his life that can also help us in turbulent times. Now, back in 2018, God allowed Joyce and I to take six of our Kamonokafe team to Israel for 10 days. One of the things I learned during that trip is that Jerusalem has been conquered by 27 nations. In the book of Ezra, we see God direct the kings of Cyrus, then Darius, to allow the Jewish captives to rebuild the temple, which Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. The second temple was rebuilt and finished in the sixth year of Darius. Ezra was part of one of the groups of people that was tasked to return by Artaxerxes to teach and make sacrifices. Now, Nehemiah hears in the 20th year of Darius that the walls were still torn down. And that causes him to start praying. Verse 2 reads in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, and some of the men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, another thing that I learned and observed in Israel is that no self-respecting town or city survived in that part of the world without a wall during Bible times. Not only do fences make good for good neighbors, as we Americans are fond of saying, but walls in Israel were essential to keep people safe from marauding bandits. Today, Israel now has a cement wall that in places is over 20 feet high. A key point we can learn from these verses is what do we do when we hear or read the news such as Nehemiah was told? In January, I ran across a very concerning statistic that today over 40 
50% of Americans now get their news from Facebook. From Facebook, 40% of Americans. When Papua New Guineans come to me and they say, Rich, we saw on Facebook the news about whatever, I usually say to them, guys, Facebook is called social media. And it's called social media for a reason. It is where your friends and family can share family news. Remember, there's a lot of false stories and stories floating around on these social media sites as well. For me to get my world news, I try to figure out who are the wealthy owners or the majority investors in the news sites that I read before I read. And I read from multiple sites across multiple countries before I will trust what I am reading. Now, you Americans, think about that reading across multiple nations' websites to see what they are, are seeing as well. Then, and this is a key takeaway that I have done for years, and much more these days, for years I have used the news to drive me to pray. Not just to shake my head and walk away, but to pray like Nehemiah did. When you read or watch the news... Does the news cause you to pray for the people involved like it did Nehemiah? So here is Nehemiah listening to this report. That sets Nehemiah to praying for God to restore the respect, the dignity, and the safety through something as basic as, well, a pile of rocks. It's later clear that he, Nehemiah, is willing to go, and he asks the king to go and supervise the rock building. I mean, think about this, guys. Here is a leader who sees that basics like rocks keep communities in existence. And get this, Nehemiah sees it as someone's spiritual duty to get the rocks in place. Never forget that Nehemiah moved rocks so that Ezra and the people could do their job of worship. And so it takes both the Ezra's and the Nehemiah's to do ministry. And thank you for those of you in this body of believers who are doing those rock building kind of things to keep the spiritual ministry moving forward because it takes a team to do both of those kinds of things. This next one we saw in 2018 was from King Hezekiah's Broadwall that he and his team built together. Notice as I read, he keeps his commandments. That means to keep, to watch, to preserve. My question for myself is, do I keep and watch after and preserve God's commands? Let's read verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Now, part of the meaning of command is wisdom. In the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, all of the uses of command are from God. In the rest of the Bible, 90% of the uses of command are from God or kings. 
So when we break a command, we are foolish and not wise. Instead of thinking of God's commandments as restrictions, we instead can flip that around and understand that God gave the commandments to help us be healthy, happy, and safe. For most of us, we have no excuse because we can read. We need to be obeying those commands. But for many Kamana Coffee speakers, because only about 15% of them can read, they are now hearing for the very first time about God's commandments, his statutes, and his ordinances. Kosek from our Kamana Coffee team was tenacious in finishing the full Bible recording, mostly because he had older people like his older uncle look at him with pleading eyes. Now, I got to tell you, in that culture, the uncle has more authority over you than the father does in that culture. And so when his older uncle looked at him with pleading eyes and he said, Kosek, we hear, hear about these people mentioned in the New Testament recording on the audio Bible player. But when are you going to finish the Old Testament so we can learn the story of these people that are talked about in the New Testament? Kosek told me that all he could do when his uncle pleaded with him was to say, Papa, we are recording every day now. Now, during the COVID lockdown of March 2020, I met Kosek on the road and gave him several boxes of recording equipment from our office so he could take it to his village house and to continue to record Bible verses. Fortunately, and by the way, nothing's fortunate with God. Remember that. Kosek was one of our team with a 100-amp battery and two solar panels we'd already installed in his village house for the next six weeks while the gates of the Ukarumpa Mission Station were locked and he was not able to come or go. He recorded five to six days a week during that time, during that lockdown. God miraculously kept his laptop and the reader's laptop and the recording equipment running over eight hours a day for the weeks that Ukarumpa was locked down. It was a miracle. We have never before or since, even for a single day, run with our solar equipment, run that much computer equipment for that many hours. It was a miracle. It was stunning. Joyce and I spent those weeks teaching an intern who, as she crossed the globe, the airports literally closed behind her. It was, it was like the airports were closed, and it was like they were closing, and she, here she was, continuing across the world. She arrived, and we taught full-time because no one else was available to teach because they were all sitting in their houses um, during, during that COVID lockdown. And um, we spent that time teaching her and calling our um, co-workers to make sure they all knew what they could do with their translation tasks during during that time and i tell you by the time we ended um that time before we came home we were actually praying lord thank you you have greatly blessed every single time there has been a change in governmental uh, regulation or law about this you've given us a way to legally work within the law but lord we are really really tired
tired. We've been working. We have not had a break. We have had no opportunity to break. Please, Lord, next time they do something like this, would you allow us to go be like the other missionaries and go away and read a book for a week or two? Yeah. In PNG, they have a custom of burying people with several of their prized possessions. Four older ladies who are illiterate have told their family, bury me with my solar-powered Kamano Coffee Bible player. They love listening, and this is a great evangelism tool. James, when he went to gather with his family, when an aunt died, his uncle approached him and said, James, thank you. I have heard the Bible read by pastors who read the Trang language, and they try to read in English to the congregation, and none of us understand what they're reading, and we don't even really understand the trade language. But I listened to your aunt's player, and now I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Thank you. These are amazing evangelism tools. They're $35 on our website if you want to give somebody in a minority language a mega voice player, so they, as an illiterate person, can listen to God's word. Please consider that. In verse 11, we read, we learn that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And notice, he asked God for two things. Make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, this man was a king. He could lop off Nehemiah's head if he wanted to. But notice that Nehemiah recognizes that he's a man, and we need to do that too with leaders over us as well. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah was a man of action. But Nehemiah wisely left the details of the timing and strategy planning in God's hands. Now, one of our American cultural strengths is planning. But that often ends up bringing in a sickness that can slow down rather than speed up God's work. My experience in 29 years on the mission field is that you and I rarely get to write the strategy for God. Yes, God does many times use our careful planning, and please don't misquote me. I do believe in counting the cost, but my generation of missionaries has for the most part failed to live a life of risk with God. How are you younger ones going to do it? Back to Nehemiah. There had been serious opposition and delays from the surrounding people groups who tried even successfully multiple times to appeal to Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes to get these kings to stop the reconstruction of the temple and then 12 to 13 years later to stop Nehemiah's work to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Now, if you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you will see they used half-truths and outright lies that they, the surrounding people wrote in letters to these kings. Please pray 
for your missionaries that God will protect our work from false stories and half-truths. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer was historically an officer of high rank in the royal courts. The cupbearer must be trustworthy to hold that position. Now, one of the duties of the cupbearer often involved tasting whatever the king ate or drank before the king and queen ate, king ate or drank. If the servant lived and did not get sick, the king and queen then ate or drank. Ancient kings had to be very cautious about what they ate and drank because of the constant fear and plots against them. So why then was Nehemiah, who is a Jew, a cupbearer to a foreign king? I found it enlightening that Saddam Hussein had a number of palaces, and before he was deposed, the workers in his palace were almost exclusively Iraqi Christians. Because they followed the Bible and were trustworthy, honest people. They followed what we now call the Judeo-Christian ethic, part of which is telling the truth and not lying. So Saddam's private servants who cared for him in his palaces were often Christians. Nehemiah lived by the Judeo-Christian ethic by being honest and trustworthy. And if you read later in the chapter, the king and queen asked him how long he was going to be gone because they wanted him back. They considered him a friend and needed him to do his job. In Papua New Guinea, they have never had the Bible in their culture until the last 30 years. So stealing and lying are normal behaviors in their villages as well as their belief in witchcraft. The hour-long sorcery movie, The God Worked Miracles, to help our Kamana Coffee team write and film in 2017 that I reported on last time I was here and that shares the gospel message was just recorded in March into its number six language. It is also bringing people to Jesus and saving many villagers from false accusations and death. Time fails us to share that God allowed Tyndale to expand even during the pandemic to serve other needy language groups in Bible translation. Now, we've just talked about Papua New Guinea, but what about America? The thing I'm learning about American culture is that unlike previous generations, today's younger generations do not know the Bible. Many Americans today hardly have an ethical standard anymore. Even supposed fact checkers are being caught not telling the truth. American Christians, that's you and me, we now have a greater opportunity to stand out as the ones who are ethical and honest in our workplaces as the darkness and light continues to, that difference between the two continues to increase. Just like Nehemiah, the trusted cupbearer to the king. Now Joyce and I heard a missionary say, God will answer any prayer you pray that will bring him glory. After 29 years, I'd say, 
I'd add on that, I'd say in the long run. God will answer any prayer you pray that will bring him glory in the long run. I've also learned to be very careful about what I pray for. An example prayer I prayed almost daily for the three years that I taught elementary school over near Tacoma in Sumner before we left for Papua New Guinea in 1993. I'd pray, Lord, what I'd really like to do is become a Bible translator so that I can give people in a minority language the same opportunity I have had, the Bible, to impact their lives. After all, when it is well translated, the Bible is the very best missionary. I pray, Lord, you know that when I apply to a mission board, I'd rather work to help a language group get the Bible, your word translated. But because of my handicap of cerebral palsy, I don't have a good ability to learn languages. I mourned that lack of ability. I'd pray, Lord, I'll never get accepted as a translator, but I will do anything to move your kingdom forward. Be careful what you pray for. I will do anything to move your kingdom forward. After seven years on the mission field teaching children and also earning a master's degree that gave me the research skills, the Papua New Guinea directors asked me to figure out why several languages were not using their published Bibles. After I reported the findings that the Bibles were inaccurately translated, with issues like Jesus dying rather than Lazarus, the directors thought that part of rectifying the problem was to try to have Joyce and I become translation facilitators and to facilitate nationals, to try it, to facilitate nationals to do revisions. Today, we see that God answered my prayer. And I joke that part of that miracle is that after they observed my poor language skills, the national church leaders were so afraid of what could happen if I led the translation team that they gave us their very best translators to do the work. Man, my inability, yes, my inability caused God to give us an amazing team of translators. God started answering that sincere and pleading prayer for his glory nearly 10 years after I passionately prayed it. Today, Tyndale Bible Translators is built on these exciting discoveries to help native speakers translate their own Bibles. They love working in teams. Please pray that God will provide us with more missionaries to work with these teams to be facilitators and advisors to ensure their Bibles are translated accurately. Now, I think the key in my own life from this passage in Nehemiah's prayer is to remember. If you pray, be ready. Why should you be ready? Because God wants you on faith-building adventures. And he, and if you're willing, God just might make you the answer to your own prayer. And I have to remind myself frequently that God does not shy away from hard work. So why should God's kids shy away from it either? And if you think about it, what's happening in our culture right now 
is our culture is telling us to take it easy. Don't hurt yourself. Work hurts you. Stop. Just stay away from it. Don't work hard. Don't get a job that will make you suffer. You just, you know, they, our culture is telling us to go away and just isolate ourselves. So we should not, as God's kids, shy away from hard work and just have it our way. We should just work and have it God's way. So if he gives you a chance, if he gives you a chance, dig in and hang on for an unforgettable fence-bumping ride that is way more thrilling than Disneyland. And I've been to Disneyland, guys, and I know it. In my four-wheel drive land cruiser, when I go across log bridges and so forth, it's way more fun than Disneyland. Yeah. This week, if you're able to read chapter 1 and 2 and notice how after Nehemiah sees God opening the doors to this prayer, that Nehemiah asked both the king and in Jerusalem, he asked for help from the people. Why? Because God-sized adventures are not lone cowboy events. Our culture tells you to go do it by yourself. That is not how God does it. And that's not how this nation was built either. God loves his people working in teams together and following him. So in conclusion, what I think this passage teaches us about prayer is we need to pray for the things that God is concerned about. And number two, then when we follow through the doors, if and when God opens them. So then we follow through the doors, if and when God opens them. Number three, then yes, we get to plan on having white knuckles while we hang on and stay tenacious because the tasks that God gives are not supersized, they are God-sized and impossible, and you will have white knuckles. Just look at mine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Number four, so start everything you do for God's kingdom with prayer. But have your work gloves ready. Now, I want to challenge you. Your church has missionaries. If you don't get one of your missionaries' prayer, card, uh, prayer letters to pray for them, I'd encourage you to pick one of them and pray and get their newsletter so you can pray for them in your home. And if you want to pick us as, as a missionary to pray for, um, we'd invite you to take one of these cards out of the black bowl on the table in the back and, um, and fill it out and send it in so that we can uh, send you our newsletter. Um, and Because uh, many of our um, partners, prayer partners, have graduated to heaven, and we need the next generation praying for us because we want to keep going. So if you're a prayer warrior, please especially consider Rich and Joyce as, as a missionary that you could be adding to your prayer list. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this body of believers that so very carefully supports many different missionary families. And they do that very, very well. And Joyce and I thank you often for them. And we ask that you would continue to bless them on the adventures that you send them on. And that you would glorify.
glorify your name through Joyce and I as we go, Lord willing, on June 7th and as um, this church continues to serve you here. In Jesus' name, amen.